0: i to you our NZ National Professor Ella Henry and Phil Taylor on this afternoon. Just an update for you due to a serious crash, State High 1 is closed through the Karapiro area between Cambridge and Teodoro, likely to be closed for some time as New Zealand police undertake a crash investigation Also a serious crash has been reported uh, to emergency services on Arendelle George Gorge Road rather near Man- Mount Hutt Station Road and an update will be provided when More information is available. To this first, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is to meet Chinese President Xi Jinping tonight around 9.30pm New Zealand time with a promise to discuss the issues that divide New Zealand and China as well as the common ground. China has had a relationship in the Pacific that goes back many, many years. Our concern is the nature of some of that engagement. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said and uh, Ardern will also have a pull-aside meeting with uh, US Vice President President Kamala Harris. With us is Asia New Zealand Foundation Director of Research and Engagement Susanna Jessup. Kia ora, Susanna. Kia ora. lovely to join you. Yes, good to have you here. How significant is this? It's a very high level face-to-face engagement.
1: Yeah, you're right. This is a significant meeting for us just for the sheer fact that it's been quite some time um, that they've met face to face since 2019 um, due to COVID disruptions and closed borders. But it's also an important meeting because China's playing a big role in New Zealand's outlook right now. You know, whether from from trade perspective, from security, technology, or or no matter which way you look, there's no conversation in foreign policy right now that's not kind of including China one way or another. So in this context, it's really critical that we're we're meeting regularly um, and that we're seeking to understand each other and, and as much as possible getting ahead of the curve on the issues that are important to us.
0: And on those issues, what might you expect to be on the agenda this evening?
1: Yeah, I I think they're going to be looking to to reaffirm relations after this fairly long period of disruption. So there's going to be an element that's just having an exchange in person and hearing what each other's priorities are. And, And importantly with China, how those priorities are framed and what we can learn from that. Um, but on the New Zealand side, I think we'll be using the meeting to, to touch on trade and, and other sort of bilateral matters, upcoming visits and meetings. Um, we'll certainly touch on regional developments, um, perhaps the military coup in, in Myanmar, and certainly Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, and maybe concerns that we might have around um, in the Pacific and certainly around militarisation, as you raised in your, in your opening remarks. I I think Prime Minister Ardern will also be seeking to sort of address matters that are directly relevant to New Zealand students and families too. So she might not um, comment on China's COVID-0 policy directly, but she's certainly going to say that we place a premium on enabling our people to continue to to connect and and the importance of that. So areas of, um, of bilateral sort of agreement and future work, but also areas of concern.
0: I'll get our panel to jump in soon, Susanna. But look, there was a, a quite extraordinary clip going around showing President Xi Jinping giving Canada's Prime Minister Trudeau a yeah. bit of a dressing down. Uh, it went viral. Is this a reminder of how delicate and actually how fraught some of these meetings can be?
1: Yeah, well, you know, form as well as substance matters, and how we engage with China. You know, Prime Minister Ardern said she won't say anything privately to Xi Jinping that she hasn't already said publicly, and so she's emphasising transparency. and That's why she's also saying New Zealand will be predictable and consistent, because you know we've we've seen in Australia how reactions, which can sometimes be over form as much as substance, can lead to wider bilateral fallout. Um, but it was extraordinary watching that bit of sort of diplomatic performance art with with justin trudeau um and and for Xi Jinping, he was really um wanting to agree matters of form. he was saying that you know he had leaked aspects of the conversation to the media and that that was inappropriate, whereas Trudeau's reply was about substance so so there's always going to be this ongoing tension um with China where The sweet spot is somewhere in between, and I think New Zealand diplomats are doing a pretty good job. Right conversation
0: going. Yeah, and uh, President Jinping walked away saying, "Said how naive? Uh, (laughs) Quite something." Uh, Ella, Ella Henry.
2: I think, and you know, I, you have to say, and I know our Prime Minister's taken some criticisms and some hits in the last few months, but really she has had such a high-profile role when she's been able to go out into the world and say New Zealand is back, we're open. You know, I heard Australia had spent billions on advertising campaigns. We don't have those resources, but we have a, a, a Prime Minister who's highly regarded in the international media who I think is doing the same thing about promoting us as a market, promoting us as a voice of reason, being able to speak to world leaders one-on-one and I congratulate the work she's achieving.
0: Susanna?
1: Yeah, I'd agree. I think it's really good. It's so important to get out into the region, get out there face-to-face. I know um, the, the Foundation's Executive Director Simon Draper has been in Vietnam alongside the Prime Minister and he hosted a group of young entrepreneurs um, and, and uh, women in business. And I think he said 800 turned up. So that, that appetite to connect in person and, and the power of meeting and being there in person is really, really critical for us. You know, And I love that saying for New Zealand, if, if we're not at the table, we're on the menu. So for us, um, getting out into the region and being present is really, really critical as a small country.
0: Phil, how do you see this? Well,
3: I think it's absolutely fascinating uh, the situation with China, and and we're sort of walking on a diplomatic-typed rope mm. uh, between getting too close and too dependent on China, uh, but also um, forging our own path and 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 looking after our own interests. So, it's I I I, I do congratulate uh, Jacinda uh, Hearn and the entire diplomatic team uh, on achieving what they've achieved so far in maintaining the relationship with China. But at the, at the end of the day, it's, it, I can see that being very complex uh, into the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's not underestimate this. Is this is real tight drive stuff. Eh? Uh, we rely yeah. on the... What's the figures? How much... Uh, what, what's the trade numbers between us and China? I'm sorry. I'm not, I won't be able to give you off the off the topic. Billions. Tens of billions of dollars. Yeah, but um, uh, you know... You've got, I mean, the the biggest trading partner is China. There are New Zealand companies wanting to get into that market, really significant, and yet you've got issues that are also very concerning. The oppression of the Uyghur Muslim minority in Xinjiang, that's really gained traction in the past year. You have the militarisation of the region and then you've got the uh, influence in loans and infrastructure building across the Pacific. I mean, these are real serious issues that we have to contend with, uh, Susanna.
1: Yeah, that, no, that's exactly right and it is, um, that's where a lot of attention is paid to form. Um, but I think it's also important to remember that that while we think about raising these issues and it sometimes seems like quite a lonely act, we are doing so in the context of um, many of our friends and partners across the region having the same conversations. So um, we may be expressing our concern on some issues, but but so is President Biden and his meeting with Xi Jinping. Right. So so is uh, Australia. So we just continue to act as much as we can collectively with partners who are like-minded uh, on matters of rights and, and um, sovereignty. And where it's a bilateral matter, we can only uh, engage in good faith, and just that's why these meetings are so important. We just need to continue up
0: continue that dialogue. Okay, Susanna Jessup from the Asia New Zealand Foundation uh, the Director, in fact, of Director of Research and Engagement. Kia ora, Susanna. Appreciate your time there. So, that's the news. Uh, it's to happen around 9.30 tonight. Uh, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern to meet Chinese President Xi Jinping. Uh, really fraught, isn't it, uh, Ella? And, of course, there has been that criticism. You know, you can't get past it. That Australia has taken a bit of a tougher stance on human rights, particularly on the Uyghur situation uh, than us. Uh, There was that criticism that we were, New Zealand was a little bit soft.
2: I think we also have to take account of the fact that, you know, we're not part of the G20, which Australia is. We're not one of the world's great economies. The fact Mm. that we even have a voice at some of these tables allows us to express our own views as a nation on human rights. And I think that we do that very well. And it's not just, you know, this is something that we've said since the 1980s and our nuclear free stance that New Zealand... We 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 punch above our weight, um, and and I think that this is part of that that we're not going to change China's mind, but we can at least be another whisper in their ear.
0: All right, the panel: are NZ National Ella Henry and Phil Taylor, uh, with me uh, this afternoon. A new poll says that most New Zealanders would like to extend the current fuel tax cut. A Taxpayers Union Curia poll found 71% of respondents wanted the cut extended until inflation was under 3%. Just 15% of people said they did not want the cut extended after its scheduled January expiry date. 14% of respondents were unsure. Commentators have warned that rising fuel costs in 2023 will continue to batter families and businesses. Right now, the fuel cut will end January. Mike Mika Herville is an organiser with Free Fares NZ. Mika, welcome. Are you there, Mika?
4: Yeah, kia ora. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, loud and clear. So two-thirds of Kiwis, according to this poll, this taxpayers union poll, want an extension. No doubt you'd support that?
4: Oh, absolutely. The policy has been a really awesome success so far in terms of increasing the ridership numbers for public transport and does go a long way, particularly for people on lower incomes or for people who are really feeling the bite of this cost of living situation at the moment, as you have mentioned, to helping them access employment and education and work. And simultaneously, having a policy like this that prioritises public transport is really great for addressing some of our climate um, commitments as well.
0: So... um until inflation is under 3%, that's uh, they want the cut extended until then, uh, through of New Zealanders, it's around 7% now. It could take some time to get down to
4: 3%. I mean, ideally, we would like to see the cut extended, um, the, the half-price fares extended indefinitely. You're dreaming. As a move towards... You're dreaming. ...having public transport be completely free, particularly for those affected groups, right? I mean, that would be a fantastic way for the government to prioritise climate action and to also then um, keep supporting that mode shift out of private vehicles and give people a real alternative.
0: Have you costed that?
4: I mean, there have been some costings done by the um, government as well around this policy, right? We know that the fuel tax cut costs the government $589 million, and the half price fares cost a mere $63 million. But, but like, the, so the issue seems to be that there's a lack of political priority placed on um, how we want to sort of invest in our transport system. And there's huge costs to not investing in public transport over um, private vehicle use. Like, we know that um, the total cost of fatalities and serious injuries, most of which are from private vehicles, it's four, was 4.6 billion dollars in 2022 and that's just the financial cause yeah. of course there's terrible terrible implications that come um with fatalities and and other injuries on our roads and then there's also costing around air pollution from private vehicles which is estimated by a very recent um study to cost have cost us um, $15.6 billion okay. annually.
0: Got it, Mika. I just really I'm asking. Extending the, fuel, extending the fuel cut to the middle of 2024 will cost the government another $2 billion. And I'm just wondering whether or not the government can just keep continuing to intervene in the economy like that. I mean, how long is this expected to last?
4: Um, I think, uh, ideally, would like to see the government... Um, Extend this indefinitely forever.
0: All right, around the panel on this, Professor Henry.
2: I mean, I see both sides of this so clearly, unfortunately, that I can't have a a sound opinion Mm. because I know how much the rising costs is affecting our most vulnerable population, and anything Mm. that can contribute and ameliorate is critically important, um, because there are a lot of things that that are outside of our control that are contributing to these increased costs. But I also know that this government is going to have a really tough time arguing to middle New Zealand either tax increases or some other kinds of taxes to pay for this. So I feel like we're caught between the devil and a deep blue sea on this one.
0: Yeah, what do you reckon, Phil?
3: Yeah, the... <laughs> The, yeah, I, I just I just can't see uh, fuel taxes uh, getting put back on until fuel prices have reduced overall. On the public transport, at the end of the day, that money has to come from somewhere, um, and that whether that's health, education, uh, or other other priorities. What I really love uh, medium longer term is more exploration of um, new alternative technologies. I, I think that uh, we, we have to do things smarter, we have to do things better, and, and that's going to lead to greater efficiencies, and I think that needs to be really explored.
0: Did you hear that, Mika? So our panel do have some reservations, they just can't see how uh, the numbers would work. What about exploring uh, new technologies, new ideas, such as what Phil said?
4: Yeah, I think there's real merit to considering all the options we have available to us, Um I think also there's a point to be made about what does it look like to invest now so that we mitigate the effects of climate change, which will cost us billions and billions of dollars, not to mention lives and homes in the future. And sort of where can we sort of see ourselves investing now um, to sort of blunt the impact of climate change? And we know that transport is one of our biggest sources of emissions, primarily comes from private vehicles, and it's doubled in the last three decades, maybe transport is one area where we can conceivably um, invest more to sort of save costs in the future.
0: Someone says here, Sam says, Wallace, the fuel tax cut is awful. Subsidising people to travel more and specifically giving the most cash to those who use the most fuel is maximising emissions in a climate crisis. Also, many people use no fuel at all, especially the poorest. So, what about that, Mika? You're you, you, you're coming over here and you're saying you know you want to sort of um uh, uh, you know level the playing field, but actually y- you're contributing to emissions. That could be one argument.
4: By I don't think that extending the fuel tax cut is what we should be doing. I think we should be extending the half-price public transport subsidy. Got gotcha. The gotcha. fuel tax cut, I think, is something that um, was I uh, I don't think that was recommended um, to be extended by the Treasury to the Minister, and I think it would be awesome to see... Um, like, even if you sort of consider the fuel cut could be a little bit less, even just a little bit less, and that would enable the extension of half-price fares on the money saved. Uh, I, I got it. So you don't
0: support the extension of the fuel cut, just the um, fares-free public transport. Yeah, got that's it. correct. Yeah. Hey, good to have you on, Mika. Kia ora. Thank you. Thank um, so much. Fiona says, Wallace, I'm dreaming, uh, and what I'm dreaming of is being able to buy a monthly pa- bus pass for $107.50 in Auckland as I have been able to with half-price fares. No stress about traffic jams, parking, my car getting stolen, and importantly, not adding to climate change emissions. Let's leave the car in the dust and get on the bus. I must admit, in a personal capacity, because I, I do live on a bus route, and uh, <laughs> it has been quite a bit cheaper uh, using this uh, you know, half price transport. Nonetheless, is the government in the in a bit of a bind here, Ella? Because stopping this cut, I mean, p- talking politically here, stopping the cut while inflation is, is, is at 7%, that would be a bit hard to do, wouldn't it?
2: And let's be clear, next year we're going into an election year when both parties are going to be trying to put as mm. much forward as they possibly can to attract that great mass of middle New Zealand which we know can either go national or Labour. Uh, you know, there's the extremes and the and the outer reaches, et cetera, that stay relatively stable, but it's the people in the middle that decide who are going to be the government for the next few years. And both parties are going to be trying to figure out what is the sweetener that's going yes. to encourage them into the polling booth.
0: Yeah, Phil?
3: Yeah, I think I, I noticed in the numbers in here, they talk about losing $2 billion worth of tax due to the tax cuts, but what I don't understand is how much extra tax they're getting because the fuel prices are so high and so how much more GST are, are they getting than mm-hmm. before and how much fuel tax are the more fuel tax they're getting from before. So so I I, I assume they're getting more. So the the, the imperative to reduce to to to, to 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 increase it again. I I can't see either a push or a pull factor that, that means that they're going to change and and, and increase fuel taxes.
0: What I'd be very interested to hear from you listeners is whether or not you support uh, what Mika is saying, uh, having uh, fares free indefinitely or at least extending it for a far longer term, set to end next year. And have you noticed a difference? Uh, do you think it's making a difference to you? Uh, 2101 is that number to text. It's 27 past four. You're on the panel, uh, NZ National. Now, Airline etiquette, honestly, Um, just wondering what the fuss is about reclining a seat on an airplane. There was a very interesting article, a stuffed journalist writing, uh, who annoyed people on two different flights by reclining her seat. And she was saying, well, look, you know, aren't we all better off? If I recline my seat back, can't the person behind me uh, recline their seat and so on. It goes like dominoes. And I thought, well, I couldn't agree more. I thought I'd just go round the panel on this. We've all been in a situation where a seat is reclined in front of us. Ella, what do you? Reckon?
2: Well, I. I, I was designed for the back seat of a Japanese car. Um, I get onto an aeroplane and I have to take my briefcase because my pudgy little feet don't even reach the ground. So <laughs> I don't even notice when the seat in front is pushed back. It just means that my you know my computer's closer to me. Um, but, but really, on a practical level, if I am on a 12-hour flight, I will take the time to ask the person behind me if they would mind if I recline my seat. And if oh, they don't you. want to, um, you know, and you end up having chats with people. And, and the person in front of you who reclines here is you chatting with the person behind <laughs> you, and before you know it, you've got a little village. You're <laughs> swapping cooking recipes and showing the pictures of your grandchildren. It's fabulous. It's I all about it. etiquette.
0: I, I, beautiful. I, it, comes, it almost comes back to what I've been thinking, Ella, F- finding that common ground. What could have been a massive argument over seat reclining has become a little village on a plane.
2: It, and it works. It, it genuinely yeah. is, unless of course you, you've got you know the Grinch around you. You can't do much about them. <laughs> Phil,
3: I think Ella's doing a fantastic job of spreading kindness on planes and around <laughs> the globe. Uh, I, I, I'm a, I'm a recliner. If I'm oh, able yep. to do so, I will, I will do it respectfully. But I won't seek permission. I have to say, um, yes. but Same. Uh, I don't mind if I, I don't mind if the person in front of me. Does it either? Um, Because you're quite tall, aren't you, Phil?
0: Am I right? You're quite Uh, tall.
3: No, no. I wouldn't say that. Uh, Maybe All Black halfback height.
0: Yep. Okay. So it doesn't bother you. No. Yeah. Very good. Hey, now, uh, before we go uh, into the headlines, uh, we had quite a bit of response uh, regarding uh, Invercargill, uh, and I've just got to bring this up because instant coffee was invented there. We talked to Wayne Marriott from the Southland Museum, and uh, little did we know, but the crimped hairpin was also um, invented in Invercargill, and the hits just keep on coming uh, about this great city of Invercargill. Someone, Glenn, emailed me, you may be interested Uh, more about Ernest Godwood, the Invercargill resident who invented this spiral hairpin. He also invented, get this, what else was invented in Invercargill? You won't believe it. The egg beater. There (laughs) there you have it. Uh, You're on the panel, RNZ National.